All right, the passage of the Bible that we're considering this morning is uh, from a book that we also considered last Sunday morning, the wonderful book, the beautiful book, and the rather extensive book that contains some of the most detailed and extensive prophecies, predictions of the coming of Christ in all of the Bible. Uh, and we're considering Isaiah chapter 35, which is filled with beautiful imagery that reminds us and that instructs us that when Jesus came into this world, he not only came to redeem, to free, and to restore his people, but indeed the whole of the physical creation, the whole physical world that God made. So basic theme of what we're considering this morning is the depth, the radical nature, and the breadth of the work of Jesus in this world. Not a, not a small thing. All right, now, I want to draw your attention to Isaiah chapter 35. Even though the name Jesus is not mentioned here as the Messiah, this is clearly pointing to the effects upon the world and upon us that he has come to bring. So we could say, with the coming of Jesus, the wilderness and dry land shall be glad. The desert shall rejoice and blossom like the crocus. It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice with joy and singing. The glory of Lebanon shall be given to it, the majesty of Carmel and Sharon. They shall see the glory of the Lord, the majesty of our God. Strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who have an anxious heart, be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, with the recompense of God. He will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. For waters break forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The burning sand shall become a pool and the thirsty ground springs of water. In the haunt of jackals, where they lie down, the grass shall become reeds and rushes. And a highway shall be there, and it shall be called the way of holiness. The unclean shall not pass over it. It shall belong to those who walk on the way, even if they are fools, they shall not go astray. No lion shall be there, nor, nor shall any ravenous beast come upon it. They shall not be found there. But the redeemed, the redeemed shall walk there, and the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads, and they shall obtain gladness and joy. And then notice how Isaiah comes, this, this chapter 35 really comes to its culmination when it ends with these words, and sorrow and sign shall flee away. With the coming of Messiah, with the entrance of Jesus in this world, sorrow and sign flee away. You know, quite honestly, um, that doesn't always seem to be our experience, right? I mean, it's, 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 it's kind of a, a, a tough passage to, to, to grasp because we, we know that 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 when Jesus comes, that's, that's good news. That's good news for humanity. It's good news for God's people. And that the Bible does say emphatically that, 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 
that sorrow and sighing will flee away. However, that's not always our experience. A number of you know here that just a little over a week ago, right, my brother Bob died. And you know, it's rather interesting, I was thinking about this, that um, it was just within a few days of my other brother who died, Jack, 38 years ago in a motorcycle accident. So personally, and I won't spend much time in this, I personally can say, you know what, Christmas times are not always <laughs> filled with joy, um, but with a certain measure of sorrow and, and sign. And I remember when I was in my early 20s, 38 years ago, and I remember when it came to Christmas Day, and I remember Dad saying to the rest of us in the family, he said, let's, um, let's go to a restaurant. I don't know if you ever went to a restaurant on Christmas Day. It's a weird feeling. Let's go to a restaurant. There's too, memory, too many memories of Jack in this house. And so there we went. We, we drove about a half, a, mile, or a, a half hour away, sat down in a restaurant, Got our food, largely ate in silence. It was, a, it was a, a very strange Christmas. Now, you may be here this morning and say, you know what, I can somewhat identify with that uh, for various reasons. For some of us, Christmas is a wonderful thing, and maybe this Christmas season is nothing but joy, but every Christmas there are some in the congregation who are facing something in their lives, some difficult hardship that happened in the last months or maybe even in the last week, and, and it's, uh, it's not the easiest of times. Nonetheless, the truth holds that Jesus Christ has come into this world to lift our hearts, to mitigate our sorrows, to lessen them somewhat, and to bring joy where there is sorrow and sighing. To, as the great writer C.S. Lewis puts it, to bring spring where there is winter, or better yet, in the language and the imagery of our text, he has come to lift the deserts of our despair, and he has come to cause flowers, the flowers to bloom. Okay? Now, what we need to do at this point is we need to uh, put our passage uh, a little bit into its historical context. I want to very briefly get into the historical background because it helps us to appreciate what's going on here. At this time in our ancestors' lives, the, 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 the people of God, the kingdom of God is divided. Now, if you go back in the Old Testament, you know anything about the Bible, you know the Old Testament deals with the nation of Israel, God's special people. So out of all the nations of the earth, God said, you are my special people, I place my love upon you. If you know anything about the Old Testament, the first 39 books of the Bible, you know that there were 12 tribes in Israel. Well, at this point, the 12 tribes are divided between the 10 northern tribes of Israel and the two southern tribes of Judah. And all of these tribes together at a certain point in their history had basically turned their backs on God. God was covenanted to them. God was married to them. But nonetheless, they threw the wedding ring from their finger and they turned their back on God and they were moving in a different direction. And no matter what God did in sending prophet after prophet their way to turn their hearts back to him, they didn't want to listen. And so 
like a parent with a child that's just continuing to walk in the wrong way, the parent has no other recourse, if the parent really loves that child, to discipline the child in some way so that the child's attention could be caught and they can turn back to the right way. That's what God did with his people. And the way that God disciplined his people was at different times and a bit different ways. The one thing that he brought upon his people after many threatenings and warnings was captivity. But God's people were held in captivity by two different nations. So in 722 BC, the 10 northern tribes of Israel were taken into what we call Assyrian captivity. Assyria was a great nation at that time. And that was all to get the attention of the two southern tribes of Judah. Hopefully, they would see what happened to the, uh, the, the ten northern tribes and being exiled to Assyria and say, we don't want to move in that direction. But unfortunately, that's not what happened. So about 150 years later, in 586, 587 BC, the exact same thing happened to the two southern tribes of Judah. They also went into captivity, though not to Assyria, but another ascendant nation at that time, the nation of Babylon. And they were exiled to Babylon for, for about a thousand miles away for 70 long years. What's the point with giving that historical information? It's not just for information, but so that we may understand what's going on in the hearts of God's people at that time. Because when God sent all the tribes into captivity in Assyria and in Judah, there really came a point where they thought, this is it. God has eternally kicked us to the curb, as it were. God has abandoned us. God has forsaken us. But again, if you know your Bible somewhat, you know that when, when God entered into this covenant marriage with his people, though they turned their backs, God said, I will never have my people completely forsaken. There will always be a remnant. will never turn their hearts away from me. God said, there's going to be a remnant who's going to go back to their homeland after they spend time in Babylon. And I'm going to send them a redeemer. I'm going to send them a deliverer, a rescuer. I'm going to send them a Messiah. And what that Messiah will do is he will work among the people and he will draw my people back to myself. And through him, I will forgive the sins of my people and I will reconstitute them, I will renew them, and I will empower them to be the kind of people that they need to be. Not only a faithful and obedient people, but the kind of people who through their faith and obedience may be a light to the nations. Who's the Messiah? Who's that deliverer? We know him and we celebrate him this time of year as Jesus. So that about six to seven hundred years before Jesus came on the scene, Isaiah spoke about this Messiah and said he's coming. And with the coming of Messiah, this is what the Lord says to his people. When he comes, the wilderness and dry land shall be glad and the desert shall rejoice and blossom like the crocus. So it's, it's, it's a wonderful picturesque way of God basically saying to his people, you live in the desert, the wilderness of despair now because you have turned your backs upon me, but it will not be that way always. I will, I will renew you, I will bring this Messiah to you, and what's going to happen is that when he comes, the desert and the wilderness that you experience in your life will bloom. Flowers will bloom in the desert. He even mentions a flower here called the crocus. Now, 
when kids listen to this, they go, and I don't know if you caught that word in, in, in verse 1, like what in the world is a, what in the world is a, what, what's a crocus? In fact, I would dare say that many adults here don't even know what a crocus is. Like a, a crocus is just, a, it's a beautiful flower, and it's, this, the word for crocus here that displays the kind of blessing that God will bring upon his people is a notoriously difficult word to translate in original Hebrew language. It's mentioned only one other place in the Bible, that Song of Songs, chapter 2, verse 1, the only other place. And translators always had a difficult time translating that word. Some use crocus, some use lily, and some translate it simply as, if you can see it, that's why I put it up here, a rose, a desert rose. A rose that comes forth from the desert, and this rose historically has been connected with the person and the work of Jesus. There's a beautiful hymn that was written a number of years ago. In fact, it goes all the way back to the 1400s. It's called, Lo, How a Rose Air Blooming. Now, in, in a hymn book that we have here called the Book of Praise, that hymn, though it's in many other Christian traditions, is not found in, in that book. The hymn, uh, the hymn tune is, but not the lyrics. And I want you to listen to the lyrics. If you can put the lyrics up, there it is. Lo, how a rose air blooming from tender stem hath sprung of Jesse's lineage coming as saints of old have sung. It came a floweret bright amid the cold winter when half spent was the night. The hymn writers were actually drawing upon this passage in Isaiah 35. This flower so small and tender with fragrance fills the air. His brightness ends the darkness that kept the earth in fear. And then this reference to Christ, true God and yet true man, he came to save us from earth's dark night of sin. It's really, it's really quite, a, it's quite a beautiful hymn. And it is one that really captures the good news of Isaiah 35, which is basically this. God is saying to his people, in sending Jesus into the world, the light of the world, he's saying, I've not given up on you. I've not abandoned you. I have not forsaken you. So that he goes on to say in verse 3 and 4, these encouraging words to his people. He says, therefore, with this promise, strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who have an anxious heart, those who deal with anxiety, anxiety of wondering, is the Lord going to provide? Is the Lord for me? Does the Lord love me? He's saying, you don't have to fear. Be strong. Now, what's, what's, what's interesting about this, you say, well, you read Isaiah 35. How does that really connect with the Christmas account? I'm trying to display that this morning. And when the Lord says to his people, with, with, with the promise of the coming of Messiah, when he says, be strong, and you don't have to fear, that actually is fulfilled during the time of the events surrounding the birth of Jesus. I don't know if you've never noticed this. If you've ever read from the Gospels of Matthew and Mark especially, the events surrounding the birth of Jesus. But on four separate occasions during that time, God's people and certain individuals are told, you don't have to fear. 
So, for instance, an angel comes to John the Baptist's father, Zacharias, John the Baptist being the forerunner of Jesus Christ. And when the angel comes to Zacharias, what, what does he say? He says, don't be afraid. Um, when, when an angel appears to Joseph, and we're going to consider Joseph in our afternoon service at 2.30. When an angel comes to, to Joseph, what does he say? He says, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife. Then the angel Gabriel appears to Mary, and what does he say? Don't be afraid. And finally, when, when, when the angels appear to shepherds who are caring for their flocks by night in order to announce the birth of Jesus Christ, there is an angel that says what to the shepherds? Do not fear. Do not fear. Do not fear. Do not fear. When the Bible repeats phrases like that, it's meant to underscore in a very powerful way that fundamentally... Fears that we have in this life, and even possibly the fear of being rejected by God, even though we have expressed faith in Christ, that should not cross your mind. When I take hold of you by my spirit, says the Lord, and I draw you to Jesus, there you are in the palm of my hand. I do not let you go. The blessings of the coming of Messiah. But the beautiful thing that we see in this passage, and this is where the breath of the passage comes into play, when God sends Jesus into this world, he has come not only to draw us to Jesus and to alleviate our fears and to reconcile us to himself, but what God has done with Jesus is he's come not only for us as his people, but he's come for the whole of the physical world to restore that as well. And we see that in the following passages very quickly. You look at verses 5 through 7. We read these words, and it reminds us of the ministry of Jesus and his healing ministry. Then the eyes of the blind will be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then the lame man shall leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute shall sing for joy. So, so there's a work of restoration in people's lives. But then I want you to notice what happens next. That restoration also extends to the physical creation where he says this, the waters will break forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The burning sand shall become a pool and the thirsty ground springs of water. In the haunts of jackals where they lie down, the grass shall become reeds and rushes. This is, this is a restoration with the coming of Jesus, that is not only deep and abiding, but it's broad. See why we need Jesus and why the world needs Jesus. There's a, there's a hymn, um, I think we sang it last Sunday, Joy to the World, that really captures the restoration that Christ has come to bring. When joy to the world we read, or we, we sing together, no more let... Um, Sins and sorrows grow, nor thorns invest, uh, infest the ground. Jesus has come to cause his blessings to flow as far as the curse is found. As far as the curse is found. And where's that curse found? And it's found in every inch of the world in which we are living. A world that Jesus came to redeem. Well, that's good news. But as we start heading to the end of the chapter, just a few other things here. Isaiah goes on to talk about, and I won't cite it now, in verses 8 and 9, he gives us a beautiful image of 
a road called a highway. And kids, I want you to listen up, and I'm going to show you something here. There's a highway that leads through a desert, and this highway is a highway that is pictured in Isaiah as a road that God's people walk on, a road that leads to Jesus, and a road that ultimately leads us ultimately to heaven and the new creation ultimately, the new heavens and the new earth. You put the image up. Now, you take a look at this as a desert. When I lived in, uh, when I came from Phoenix about three months ago, this is the environment in which I and my family lived for 12 years. I think this environment probably looks pretty good to you right now, right? So it's cold, you know, and it's been raining. We had this flood season. Wouldn't it be great just to walk through the desert, you know? And I look at the weather in Phoenix, it's between 65 and 70, 75 degrees. It looks really good. I'll tell you what, when you live 12 years in Phoenix, and then you have to go through the summers there, the desert's not the place you want to be. Think of summer Phoenix here. Ten miles outside of Phoenix, this is what you find as you go through the hills. Listen, there's a certain beauty to it. But kids, I want you to notice something. On either side of the road, you have wilderness. What's in the wilderness? Have you ever walked through a desert before? There's sand, there's sagebrush, there's cacti, little water, few flowers during the summer season. It is dry, it is hot, it is barren. When you walk through that sagebrush in that wilderness, you've got to watch your step because you have scorpions and you have rattlesnakes and other things like that. You have coyotes running through all there. It is truly a wilderness. Now, here's the point. I want you to see this visually because when you read your Bibles, whether it's the Old Testament or the New Testament, the wilderness that you see there in the ragged mountains, the craggy mountains, I should say, is, is a picture of the wilderness of this life in which we are living. Life is not always easy. It's a reality that we experience almost every day of your lives. But Isaiah 35 speaks about this highway, this road that winds through the wilderness. And it tells us that as we walk, it is the road of redemption. The redeemed walk on this road, and they are protected from the elements of the wilderness. And the road leads on and on over the mountains and ultimately into the beauty of the new creation, the new heavens, and the new earth. All these images of Isaiah 35 are designed to encourage our hearts with that ultimate encouragement found finally in verse 10, where we read, and the ransomed, the redeemed of the Lord, those who embrace this Jesus by repentance and faith, shall return and they will come to Zion with singing. Remember, God's people are in captivity, but God says, you're going to come back to Zion. You're going to come back to your homeland. And it will be a time of joy. And the Lord says to us as well in this wilderness of life as a parallel, one day, too, you're going to come home. Through Jesus, you're going to come home to the new creation. Everlasting joy, he says, here's the promise, shall be upon their heads and they shall obtain gladness and joy and sorrow and sign will flee away. I want to end briefly with this. I think if there's ever a message that we need during this Christmas season, it's this message. It is, it is not a message of despair, but it is a message of hope. I have, I have talked to more than one person who has said, if they thought 2020 was difficult, 
2021 was even more difficult, and we're just about done with 2021, are we not? And everybody, everybody seems to be weary. We are weary of a political and pandemic season that seems to drag on and on. We are weary of shutdowns and limited freedoms. We are weary of not knowing if our schools will remain open or closed. We are weary now of yet another expression of COVID and the Omicron uh, virus. We don't know how that is all going to play out. We, we, more could be said, but we, we are weary. We are weary of feeling weary. We are weary, the word I think I could use here is we're weary of this, just kind of feeling suspended, like our feet are not on terra firma, on firm ground. And maybe the best way to express it biblically would be this, we are weary of thorns. Thorns in the desert. But the blessing of our passage is this. A rose has come forth from the hard ground of the desert, has come forth from the sagebrush, it has come forth from the, from the thorns of this world. It is a, it is a rose that is beautiful, it is a, it's a rose that is fragrant, and is a rose that has come to bring us life. It's a rose that reminds us that Jesus Christ has not come to bring us to despair, but he has come to bring flourishing to our lives and lead us ultimately beyond some of the difficulties that we face below, on forward, on that highway, past the craggy mountains, ultimately into the new creation, where there will be, thanks to Jesus, no more crying or mourning or pain, for all these things will have passed away. Why? Because Jesus has dealt with the fundamental problem of our despair, and that is sin. And when we embrace him in faith, which I pray that we either all have or we will do, that sin is dealt with and our hearts are lifted and we journey together, forward together to the new creation, the new heavens and the new earth. And what can we say now but amen, come, Lord Jesus, come quickly. Let's pray together, shall we? Heavenly Father, we thank you for the good news of the Christmas season. We thank you for the good news of the Son, Jesus Christ, whom you have sent into this world, the beautiful rose that arises amidst the thorns of this life and promises eternal life and eternal joy and blessing, not only beginning in this life, but perfectly in the life to come. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for your willingness to come to this earth and to pay that price of our sin so that we may be drawn to you, O oh God. And Lord, we pray that if we are here, some of us here this morning, who do not know truly the joy of the Christmas season and the joy of belonging to the Christ of Christmas, O oh God, open our hearts. Bring people and conversations and events in our lives that will draw us to him so that we may know the life and the community and joy that many, many of us here experience. So God, grant that we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.